Well, good morning, Life Church. I heard some Spanish out there. Buenos dias. Let me try that again. Good morning, Life Church. It is uh, really great to have each one of you here uh, in person. As well, those of you who are joining us online, really great to have you uh, week after week after week joining us online. And uh, we really count it a privilege uh, to be in your homes or on your phones or wherever you are uh, right now watching. So thank you for, uh, for trusting us. Uh, in this uh, in this season, uh, can I uh, just share a couple of things really quickly? Just kind of housekeeping uh, things for us this morning. Uh, the very first thing is uh, masks. Can I talk about masks for just a moment? Um, uh, just I think it was last Wednesday or Thursday, a declaration was made uh, for the salt for Salt Lake County that the mask uh, mandate would be extended until the end of the year. And yeah, I know that doesn't make everybody happy. I mean, is anybody like truly like, yes, I love wearing this thing. Um, but to me, in kind of our perspective that we are looking at it from, from Life Church perspective, is that it is a, a very, very small price for us to uh, kind of come under uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one is the, the care and concern and love that we have for others, right? And so we want to be as safe as we can be. And whether you think it's a politically motivated thing, whether you think it's unhealthy, whether you, how, wherever you fall on the spectrum, and wherever you fall, you're going to make somebody mad. So we, we understand that. We recognize that. Um, but we, we feel it's also just a very, very small price to pay for us to be able to proclaim the gospel of Christ, uh, to have the space open for us to be able to gather together uh, in person, obviously, as well as online for those who are online. I hope at home you're wearing your masks. <laughs> Not really. Um, but uh, but it's just, it gives us the opportunity to be able to gather together as safe as we can and uh, kind of walking through some of these things uh, together as a family. And while it, uh, we know that some have chosen not to return to church because of the mask mandate, we understand that. And uh, thank you for those who have, even though you despise wearing the mask, you have chosen uh, to be here um, as well. And so thank you very much. And please don't let the mask thing be something that divides uh, the the church in general. Uh, it's very easy to let it be that way. And we have some have very strong political views or whatever it might be. Uh, let, let the mask thing be separate from that and let us understand and embrace the fact that we're going to have different opinions. Uh, but ultimately, um, it's a very, very small price for us to pay to be able to, uh, to meet together in person. So hopefully you understand it. So we will continue to follow the mask mandate uh, that is out there for Salt Lake County, of which we are a part of, until such time as that is lifted. Uh, does that mean if it's not lifted till 2027. Uh, that what, what, we have no idea, right? We don't know if month to month it might change. But at, at this point, we're going to follow uh, the Salt Lake County uh, mask mandate. So, um, and uh, yeah. The second thing I wanted to share with you is uh, yesterday, uh, we had the opportunity to head out over to Tooele, and many of you know a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had uh, distributed 750 backpacks uh, through Valley, uh, Valley Junior High uh, yesterday at Life Church Tooele, had an opportunity to gather together with, I don't know, we probably had about 15 or so volunteers who were out there, and we had 150 backpacks uh, that were given away through drive-by for families in the area uh, that are, in, you know, kind of in need, a lot of upheaval, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, so it was really beautiful to see another expression of faith, another expression of community awareness and love, kind of that intentional love of our community uh, that we value so much here at Life Church. And so you can uh, see we had a great, great group out there at Life Church Tooele. So I think it'd be great if we just, I know, I don't know if they're watching or not, but I think it'd be great if we just give God some praise for what's happening out at Tooele. 
so appreciate Pat's Pastor Forrest uh, right there with the lovely beard. And uh, so he is out there. He and Allison uh, doing a fantastic job uh, out there in Tooele. And so we're so grateful uh, for so many ways that we're able to express uh, the love of God to our community. So, all right. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. You've heard this verse. I've shared it every single week so far in the series, and you're going to continue to hear it every single week as we make our way uh, through the book of Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, as we begin to uh, work through the rest of Galatians, we're right now to about the middle of chapter 2 at this point. And there's some sections that we are going to be skipping over here in uh, the next few weeks. Uh, But as we make it through through this uh, kind of middle part or end part of chapter 2 today, uh, we start to see what this yoke of slavery that Paul is talking about. Up to this point, it's just kind of words that are on the screen for us or online, uh, just kind of words that are there uh, for us. But I think that um, as we start to kind of reveal a little bit more about what this yoke of slavery is, I really believe God's going to help us as we wrestle with this and realize that uh, this isn't just for the church back in Galatia. That is for us as well, that God does not want us to go back to slavery in our own lives. So we've seen Paul tell the story of transformation, how he's received this unique call to a group of people that at the time nobody else wanted to go uh, minister to. That was the Gentiles or the non-Jewish. We saw how zealous he was last week. We talked about conflict. Any of you resolved conflict this last week? Yes, one person. All right, that is great. I'm glad it was practical. Okay. Uh, But it's one of those things, right, that as we look through uh, the conflicts of life, uh, that I do believe that God gives us some standards by which to do that. And so uh, that was uh, dealing with that restoration of relationship and that unity, that that's kind of that heart of dealing with conflict. And we saw that last week. And Paul was very passionate about what he believes God is speaking to the church. And so he was going to passionately defend uh, that belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to get our first taste in these uh, first few weeks of some theology. You're ready for some theology, right? We're going to, I mean, all of it is theology, right? Every, uh, I've uh, heard Mark Batterson say this once, every ology is theology, because <laughs> somehow it all reveals God in the middle of all of it. So uh, geology reveals God. So it's a kind of theology in a strange sort of way. Uh, and then all the other ologies you can uh, have in there. So as we get some, um, s- some ideas here of, as we dig a little bit deeper, into some terminology and some phrases that Paul begins to use that we're going to see in the rest of, uh, rest of this, this uh, letter to these churches in Galatia. And um, so he has so far set up the reason for writing this, and that was kind of last week, that, the, uh, that there were some false teachers and other believers who'd come in uh, claiming Christ and yet adding to the story of who Jesus was. And it was to lead them astray. I mean, that was really the bottom line. And that's what Paul was fighting against, was that these believers had come in and were teaching a different gospel. And uh, so this challenge that's coming from these believers, they had this view that there was more to faith than faith. That you had to add something to faith in order for you to be saved. You had to add something to this relationship with Jesus Christ that wasn't faith in order for you to be saved. They say that you had to measure up to some sort of external standard, an external human effort for God to actually like you. <laughs> that was kind of uh, what it was going. So it's, it's as if Jesus was saying, according to them, if you do this perfectly, then I will love you. That's in essence what they were saying. If you do this, if you jump through all of these hoops and if you do it perfectly, then I'm going to care about you. 
Oh, and by the way, they don't mention this, but perfection's impossible. So this is an impossible task on your part, what was being asked of you. So what kind of relationship do you have with a God who would do this? Uh, years ago, and, and some of you know my, uh, the story of my family, and I know I've shared bits and pieces of it, and this is something I believe that I've shared before, but it bears a repeating a number of folks that are, are new and gives you kind of a picture into how my family has unfolded through the years when it comes to my parents. Uh, back, uh, so a number of years ago, my, my parents got divorced in 1988. Alcohol was a central part of that, along with infidelity on my father's part, and it was just a, uh, a really rough season there from about 1984. 1983 up through about 1989 or 1988 when uh, the divorce was finalized. And in this whole process of alcohol really consuming my, uh, my father's life and pornography and uh, just so many other things that kind of, kind of snuck into his life, during all of it, my, my dad was attending church. Uh, my, my dad was there, and early on in that, I mean, eventually he stepped away, uh, but early on in all of this, my, my parents taught the newlywed class. It was actually at Mountain View. Uh, I mean, all of these things. So there was a grounding. There was some really, really great things in my, in my father's life, but somehow, some way that just snuck into his life and dragged him away. And in the process of counseling and beginning to understand a little bit more about my dad, some stories started to come out of him when he was just a very, very young child. And uh, some of these things, and, and you might know this, but the way you're brought up has a tremendous bearing on how you view God. And this is why as parents, we have a huge task in front of us, one that feels overwhelming. I don't know as parents if you feel this, but um, especially if you're trying to follow after Jesus and you know that your kids are picking up on what you believe about God. And so my dad, we found out, you know, many years, uh, I mean, this is not something he ever had talked about until I think even uh, just in the middle of some of the uh, counseling that my dad went through. And I didn't know about it even for a number of years after, I think even after my uh, dad had passed away in 1998. Uh, but when he was a young kid, uh, he, was, he was born clubfoot. Uh, both his feet were, uh, were kind of straight out. And uh, his parents were parents of means. Uh, my, my grandfather never, never knew him, but my grandfather on my dad's side was an orthodontist. And so in my, uh, my grandmother on my dad's side uh, was a nurse. And so finances were strong. There was no, no real needs uh, in that way. But my dad's dad was an alcoholic. My, mom, my dad's mom was uh, definitely an enabler in all of this. And uh, one of the things that happened to my dad as he was growing up with the club feet was his parents told him that, hey, Archie, my dad's name was, was Arthur, but they called him Archie. Archie, uh, if you get... A's in this semester or this, you know, this year, we will get this operation for you and uh, we'll, we'll get that taken care of. And so my dad would, would, would go for it, would get his grades. I mean, imagine as a, like, this was an elementary, uh, elementary school up through junior high. Uh, you know, imagine that club feet trying to work through, had the big braces on in the early 40s, you know, in mid 40s. That was kind of a, a pretty, pretty grotesque apparatus you had to wear uh, for that. And uh, the teasing that went on and, and all of that, and my dad would perform, would get the straight A's, and then a reason would be had for not getting the operation. And that would happen year after year after year until I believe it was probably seventh or eighth grade uh, in his life when he would finally get that operation. But year after year after year, perform, do this, and we will do this, and then they would go back on what they said that they would do. I mean, imagine how terribly debilitating that is in someone's life. 
what that does for performance and trying to measure up and then feeling like you can never measure up enough to receive that love. So for whatever reason, sorry. There are some who have a picture that there's a God like this. Right? We have this picture sometimes of a God who demands of us something that we cannot attain on our own. And he demands that you live a perfect life. He demands that you measure up and find yourself worthy through your own human efforts. And it reminds me of a God that looks like what my dad's parents were to him. We feel like that there's a God that we can never feel worthy of his love. To never have a sense of acceptance from this God. And folks, believe me when I say that this, this is in the church. This picture of this kind of a God finds its way into the church. It found its way into the church that Paul was leading there in all those churches of Galatia. To never have acceptance of this God who's supposedly known as the God of love. And in fact is known as love, right? It says in 1 John that God is love. Our world struggles with this idea of a God of love because the picture of God that has been proclaimed so many times is a God just like the one that I described a moment ago. That somehow you have to attain through your own human effort and your own righteousness somehow, some way that you can never do it, but God still expects you to do it. And the world has seen this God on display. His name has been used to do awful things and to justify awful actions. It's been used to control people. And this is a picture of God that Paul is fighting against. So after Paul's conflict with Peter, as he points out the fact that Peter's not even living up to the ways uh, that, uh, that, that Peter says he's living up. Remember the hypocrisy uh, that we talked about last week and that idea of walking that crooked path? And that's what Paul was saying of Peter. He goes on, and this is picking up right after that. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth. This is Paul speaking and kind of including Peter into this. We're Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Because in the world that Paul grew up in, in the world that he was uh, kind of uh, steeped in for his uh, training, uh, the Jews were right and everybody else was wrong. And yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So he's finding that common ground with Peter saying, hey, the law is not going to lead us to any justification. And we've come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? It's kind of a complicated argument right there. We, we, we're not going to get into that part of, uh, that part of this uh, today. But Paul is basically saying in here, uh, you know, as we, as we follow after Jesus and as we're doing our best and, and sin is revealed in us, does that mean that, that Jesus uh, wants us to continue to sin? That's basically the argument that some were saying. And he says, no, certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I'm a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So I'm going to unpack this a little bit for you today. We can't get into everything that's included here, but some highlights that will lead us to the end. Um, so Paul's continuing to answer Peter in this. And it's, that was written there to the churches of Galatia. He's calling into question some of the foundational beliefs of the re Jewish religious experience. 
Because this is what Paul grew up in. He grew up in a standard of living that internally Paul knew that he could never, ever, ever in his wildest imaginations live up to. All the religious zealousness, all the things that he tried to do on his own, he could never, ever live up to it. And he realized that he speaks of this works of the law that is obedience to a set of rules proving impossible to be kept. That's really what it boils down to. So Paul realizes that there is a dead end of sorts when you reach the limit of your own ability to to, to attain external holiness and righteousness because it doesn't deal with the internal. So it was with Paul, and this is from a commentary that I read. I love this. It says, he had labored all his life under the nagging fear that perhaps in spite of all of his rigorous observance of the law, he might not be able, uh, after all, to win God's favor. Now as he sees the cross of Christ... And realizes the work of love and grace that was necessary to save him, he freely admits that this nagging fear of the past was fully justified. Not only is it possible that he may fail to commend himself to God, it is inevitable that he will fail. And this is a condition of all of us, every single one of us. Doesn't matter where you come from economically doesn't matter where you come from, your family of origin, doesn't matter what kind of education you have, we will all fail if we try to do this salvation thing on our own. We will all fail all the time. Uh, I've been hiking before. That's like an amazing statement, right? I've been hiking before. And uh, so I've been hiking, and uh, I don't know why I said it that way, but anyway. So I've been hiking before, and, and as I've been hiking, and this I remember back a number of years ago, uh, we were up in, uh, up in the High Uintas, beautiful up there. I mean, if you've never been there, please go there sometime. Mirror Lake and all the other stuff up there, gotta go. And uh, hiking up there, and, and you go to the top of, um, of one mountain, one mountain peak, and you're like, ah, oh, this is great. I love it. I love hiking. I love the outdoors, but I'm gonna die. Okay, that's kind of what happens when you're hiking. And so you get, up, you get up to the top of it, and you're so excited that you reach the peak, only to realize what? This is a picture. My, my daughter actually took this the other day. I think it's up Little Cottonwood Canyon. But you, you reach the top, and this is kind of at the top of one of those peaks, and then you realize there's a whole slew of other peaks that I've got to make to be able to make it to the next one and then the next one and then the next one and then and it becomes tiresome and you realize I can't do this I'm going to call a helicopter (laughs) and we are going to make it because I can't do this on my own this is Paul reaffirming what Peter already knew And those were trying to make uh, believers add human effort to salvation. Paul was calling this into question in Peter's life. Because they had said that in order for you to be saved, remember, uh, for for the the Gentile believers, they had to be circumcised. The males had to be circumcised in order for them to uh, be be a Christian. And they had to follow the law of Moses. And Paul is like, nobody could do that anyway. Why are you asking these Christians to do? Why are you asking us to do this? So this is what Paul is saying again when he refers to building up the things that he once tore down. Because he realizes he built all of this stuff, this legalism and all of these standards, he realized that it was a dead end. There was no chance of being anything but a sinful person. (laughs) That's all that the law reveals of us. So why try to go down that road again as others were attempting? Verse 18 said, if I keep doing uh, the same thing I used to, used to do to try to win God's favor by my efforts, I keep arriving at the same conclusion. 
I can't ever do this on my own. So if human effort can't get us into right relationship with God, if we can't measure up to standards of holiness or righteousness, um, if we have a mountain to climb that we are incapable of doing and completing on our own, what are we to do? And I believe this is an incredibly pertinent uh, question for us, especially given our surroundings, the community around us. How do we attain salvation if we can't do it on our own? How are we ever presented worthy before God when systems of rules cannot lead us to that kind of hope? Galatians 2 verse 19 says, I've been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, so in this human body, the life that I now live in this human body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And we're going to talk about faith here in just a moment. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification came, comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, Peter, if you're right, and all these other Jewish believers, if you're right, then Jesus died for nothing. He came for no reason. So for us to find this answer of this conundrum of human effort to secure our uh, salvation, we have to look to the story of Jesus. This is where Paul turns. This is the story of Jesus. And if you read in everything that Paul writes, this is where he goes back. Why does he go back to this? Because no other story matters. Do you realize that? No other story matters more than Jesus' story. So his story is recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It goes through the, the years of his life, and we don't know his exact age, right? People can speculate, but somewhere around 30 to 33 years that he lived on this earth, and during that time, he lived a completely sinless, perfect life. He lived a life that, only, that we could only dream of. He lived that life that uh, um, found himself hanging on a cross, doing something that we could never do, and that is deal with our sin, because we're imperfect. Okay, point to somebody who's imperfect. <laughs> no, don't do that right now. Yeah, point to, everyone points to themselves. Good. I'm glad you didn't point at somebody else, right? That's great. And so we celebrate on Good Friday, um, we celebrate on Good Friday, Jesus on a cross, even though he was completely sinless, blameless, he did nothing wrong. And yet for some reason it was completely necessary. This is really hard for us to wrestle with because it seems like such an injustice was done. And you are right. This is a complete injustice and yet for some reason it's completely necessary. So for all the reasons that Paul is pointing out, Jesus died for us because we couldn't do this on our own. The law was intended to reveal the sinfulness of humanity. It did a really, really good job of doing that. Legalism does that, <laughs> right? Doesn't legalism reveal that we can't measure up? The law was good in that it accomplished what it was intended. But as humans got more involved... New laws and rules were added, and those things just became onerous. In fact, Jesus talks about it of the Pharisees. You know, you create these laws and rules that you yourself are unwilling to live by. 
You're unwilling to lift a finger to help other people. In this impossibility, Jesus shows up. It's impossible, but Jesus shows up. The origin of the law given by God provided a way for sin to be dealt with. And in the Old Testament, if you read through the book of Leviticus, Exodus talks about it, uh, Deuteronomy, I mean, all of these, they talk about this system of sacrifices that were given for us, right, as humans at that time, for us to receive uh, kind of um, um, uh, freedom and forgiveness from our sins. And so they would take a goat or a ram or a bull or a grain offering or wine or whatever it was or oil, and they would take that offering to the temple And a priest who himself was sinful would have to offer a sacrifice for himself to be made right with God. And then they could offer a sacrifice for people that came by who had sin in their life. And they could offer a sin sin, sacrifice at that point. And then they would walk away hoping that it was enough. Hoping that they had done right. And realizing that it didn't deal with the sin that was in their heart though. Because they would sin again, have to come offer another bull, another ram, another offering. It's very expensive, (laughs) right? Because we are a sinful people. And so the law revealed that we are sinful and broken. And that's when when you read the law, realize in, in the Old Testament, realize, I mean, it's all pointing to Jesus, by the way, but it's all pointing to the inability that we have to do this on our own. So year after year, day after day, month after month, offerings were given. It's like that mountain, another mountain range, another mountain range, another mountain range, trying to get to a loving God through human effort, trying to be worthy. Then Jesus, he gives himself for us, willingly to provide a perfect, permanent way to relationship with the Father. The relationship that's broken by sin, he provides that way for us. Another of Paul's letters, and if you read Paul, there's a lot of unity in what he reads or what he writes in uh, Romans chapter five, verse six, and then verse eight. It says, "When we were unable to help ourselves, at the right time, Christ died for us, although we were living against God." Now, this we that he's talking about is all of humanity, but really in particular, it's, it's this, this Jewishness at the time of trying to measure up. While we were still living against God, Christ died for us. So it goes on to say, but God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. It makes no sense. It really doesn't. I mean, if you think about this, if you think too hard about it, this makes no sense. Why would God do this? We were enemies of God, and yet he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins. Uh, slightly different version. This is out of the complete Jewish Bible. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, out of the uh, complete Jewish Bible, which I like how it states some things here says, when the Messiah was executed on the stake as a criminal, I was too. So that my proud ego no longer lives, but the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in my body, I live by the same trusting faithfulness that the Son of God had, who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
I do not reject God's gracious gift. For if the way in which one attains righteousness is through legalism, then the Messiah's death was pointless. Death, I love this quote, death is not merely the path to life. It is the destination. And it seems really weird, so let me explain this. This is not like morbid, this is not a death wish, this is not any of that, okay? I'm not, there's no Kool-Aid involved in this, okay? Um, As such, faith is an initial and ongoing participation in the faith or the faithful death of Jesus. Later on, Paul says this, and we'll get to this, I die daily. For Paul, this is a daily occurrence in his life, and it should be in ours as well. Paul died. On the day that Christ died on the cross, Paul died. On the day that Jesus died on the cross, Felix died. Right? On the day that Jesus died on the cross, Jeanette died. On the day that Jesus died on the cross, I died. Now, how, that, that can't be because I wasn't there. And yet Paul's saying, I died on the cross. How, that's acquired by faith. It's acquired by faith. It's not by work that we do, but it's acquired by, by faith. And so this idea of faith, and, and I love what it said in the Complete Jewish Bible. It says, trust by trusting faithfulness. So, so there's trust. We trust what God said is true, and so we live in that trust. And this is the part that we have to be careful with, right? The next side of that is this this faithfulness. That faithfulness to me, and we're not defining faith by its own word, okay? But faithfulness is that right action over time. That faithfulness is trusting that God is who he says he is, and then living faithfully for him. How do we live faithfully when we know we're sinners? We live faithfully, even though we know we're sinners, we live faithfully trusting in him and then finding that forgiveness in him that only he gives and then living for him as best we can, trusting him, living for him as best we can, trusting him, living for him as best we trust, live, trust, live. That is what God is asking us to do. So in that process, are there standards by which we should live our life? Yeah, absolutely. They're clearly laid out in the word of God. Right? There are sinful activities that we are not supposed to do, but we find ourselves falling into those sinful activities. And God says, you died on the cross. When my son Jesus died on the cross, by faith you can receive that same death and then live, really live the life of Jesus Christ. So we're going to find out from Paul a little bit later how this actually works is by the Spirit of God empowering us. We find this out in Galatians a little bit. So we're going to talk about the Spirit of God, the power of God within our life, living this life. Okay, so I'm leaving a little bit of this hanging, a little bit. I'm, I'm simplifying it a bit today for the purpose, I think, that Paul was in this moment, looking at everybody there in the church in the moment, saying, don't expect to be able to live up to a standard of human condition because you're not going to do it. It only happens when we live with the knowledge that we died and sin no longer has a hold on this life because Jesus lives within us. Um, Galatians chapter, I'm going to jump back. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 
when, when Paul is giving uh, kind of a, uh, his greeting that he normally gives to the church. He says this, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse four, who gave himself for our sins. So early on, he talks about this as part of the church, right? To set us free from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And then he writes in this, uh, Galatians chapter two, verse 20. And notice what he does here. He switches it a little bit, he personalizes this. And I believe that God wants us to personalize this reality for us as well. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul just doesn't leave it out there for somebody. Some of us have such a heart. We say, God loves you. God loves all people, but for some reason we make an excuse for ourselves and say, God loves you, but inside we go, but God, I don't think you love me. Because I haven't measured up. God says, I love you. I sent my son and my son gave himself for you. Folks, I've got an ugly cry. I know it. (laughs) I know I do. But God loves you. God loves you. If you're online right now, there are some of you who don't come to church because you are so afraid that God will judge you as unworthy. He won't because of his son, Jesus Christ. We live by faith, by trusting in him and walking faithfully. God loves you. He gave himself for you. This is Jesus, this revelation of the self-sacrificing, loving God who invites you into relationship with him. Accepting you not because of anything you have done, but accepting you because of what's been accomplished on the cross of Christ. No unreachable merit-based system, no perfection first demand. God loves you. Just you. Your pain, your hurt, your insecurities, your failures. He loves you. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. And all of this is because of Jesus. (laughs) And for us to really be alive, folks, we got to die. In order for us to really be alive, we must die. We must find ourselves by faith on that cross of Christ, realize we can't do this on our own. So if every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment, if we try to do this on our own, it's a dead end, folks. And some of you have tried to do this on your own. Now remember, These are these initial steps. We're going to talk a whole lot more about what the living in the spirit looks like and keeping in step with the spirit, right? So there's a whole lot more to come to this. But in this initial stage here right now, you realize you've been trying to do this on your own. You've been trying and failing time and time and time again. And today, God wants you to know that his son Jesus paid that price so that you can live in faith the life of Jesus Christ. And if that's you in the balcony or on the main floor and you'd say, Pastor, or if you are online right now and you say, Pastor, I know that I need Jesus in my life. I've tried and I can't do this on my own. Can you lift your hand really quickly? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lots of hands up, lots of hands up, Father. God, in this moment when we are transparent before you as we always are, God, I thank you for these who have raised their hands. And God, many that are online right now, God, I believe that you are working powerfully in their lives right now. Jesus, I thank you for loving us. 
that while we are still sinners, you died for us. God, you recognize that when we try to do this on our own, all that it ends up is in failure. It's impossible. It's peak after peak after peak, and we can never make it. But Jesus, in faith, we can say that we died with you on the cross and sin no longer has mastery over us. I'm gonna invite everybody just to pray a very simple prayer uh, with me and online as well. You can pray with us and just everybody together. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and for setting me free. Jesus, I've tried on my own and I have failed So thank you for loving me in spite of the fact that I'm a sinner. Jesus, thank you for transforming my life and bringing me close to the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we are grateful, God, for the moments that we have with you. We're grateful, God, that that, uh, even in our striving, Lord, that you have mercy upon us. And so, God, help us to turn with eyes of faith to the cross of Jesus Christ that we could actually really live. And so, Father, I pray that there would be freedom today, Lord, just like that, uh, the, the scripture verse that we read every single week, Lord. It's for freedom that we have been set free. And, God, you don't want us to go back to a yoke of slavery, a yoke of trying to do this on our own. And so, God, help us to live for you. God, we recognize we're still going to fail. We recognize, God, that we're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to sin. But God, I thank you that you are there, arms open wide to receive us again in forgiveness because, God, you are the God of love. You're the God who defines himself by love. So Lord, help us be able to proclaim this loving God and creator to the world around us. God, help us to boldly share that Jesus saves that Jesus sets us free from sin. God, help us to take chances on our relationships with those around us, to take that, that chance, God, of being able to proclaim who Jesus is in our own lives, to be able to lead people to you. Lord, thank you for transforming us. You're an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here today. Our God's a faithful God. And remember, as we walk out of here, folks, we represent God. That's a scary thought. We represent him. And so let us live in the joy of Jesus Christ and help us to share. And and may you share the love of God everywhere you go, okay? So God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. We'll see you next week.